Welcome to Momentum Church. I'm excited to be back with you all. Last week I was on the trail hiking and Pastor Brantley, man, brought a word that truth, but also just emotion, and I want to thank you just for being there for him and his family right now. I appreciate y'all loving on our team the way you always love on our team, and um, what we're doing today is we're going back into the book of John. How many remember last year we looked at John almost the whole year, right? We started in January. We finished at the end of November, and if you recall right, we finished with John chapter 18 as we looked at truth. Jesus said he was truth. And so we looked at that. And can I just be really honest with you? I don't know about y'all. I was tempted not to finish teaching on John. You know, we, we, we got into our Easter or Christmas series. We got into our January series. Um, we did I Feel. We just finished this series on overcoming emotion. And there was parts of me that was just kind of like, Lord, you know, we all know you died and rose again. <laughs> Is that awful? Is your pastor going to hell? <laughs> And we're going to be doing Easter in a few weeks, and so we're going to really celebrate that for a couple days, you know, Palm Sunday and Easter. And do we really need, and, and man, the Lord just was like, you know what? We need to finish, say finish, what we started, say started. And so I really felt like God wanted me to say, hey, we got to finish what we started. And what's beautiful about it is John 19, 20, and 21 is all about the passion. It's perfect during the season of Lent as we're turning our hearts toward the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But we need to finish it, and I'm excited about it. I don't know about y'all. Um, um, you ever start things that you don't finish? Yeah, yeah. That's why I got I to finish this. Um, finishing is one of the hardest things to do. We, we're, as people, we are great starters. Every one of us. Man, we can get an idea, a harebrained, and we just run with it. We're great starters, but to carry it through to the end often fails us. Like, we just don't do that. You know, think about work. Like, you got a goal at work, and you're shy getting to the end of that goal, but now you're in the middle of these objectives, and it's like, you know, I've done a few. That's enough. And you just kind of stop on the objectives and you never get to the actual goal. You know, maybe it's at, 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 at home and you're like, my basement, how many have a basement that needs cleaned? My basement <laughs> needs cleaned. And so you got the basement halfway cleaned out. The problem is a quarter of the half is now in your garage. And so now your garage is like halfway messed up. So now you have a basement and a garage that aren't finished. We're great starters. We're just not always really good finishers. Maybe as a student, you know, you got that final that you've got to create that project. And it's like, I only need the finishing touches just a little bit more and I'll turn it in. But I just can't stop scrolling TikTok right now. I just can't stop hitting the gram up, you know? Gram meant something different back in some of our people's age days. I'm just saying. I'm trying to be, I know, I know the people I preach to, and so, but no, I just can't, I just can't, I can't, I can't stop hitting the gram, you know, and, 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 and maybe, maybe for you, even worse, this is, this is, this is, you're going through marriage issues, and you've gone to the counselor three times, and it's gotten more and more tense with every visit, and we don't like that tension, and for whatever reason right now, you, you just can't for the best of you, get on the phone and schedule that fourth session. You just, you just can't. You just won't, I should say. And so we're great starters, but at times in life, we're not really great at finishing things. 
One of my favorite writers, Max Lucado, said, our human tendency is to quit too soon. Our human tendency is to stop before we get to the finish line. Here's the problem with that, guys. Every single person in this room, every one of us, we all have a finish line. That, that became so apparent to me at the beginning of this week on Monday. I officiated a funeral for a man my age. And it just was like, oh my gosh, life's not always going to be here. We all have a finish line. We all have a plan and a purpose and a finish line to get to. And I want to get there good. I want to get there strong. Amen? I want to finish. Say, I want to finish. Have you guys seen the Jesus Revolution movie yet? Anybody? Go see this. Amy and I saw it Friday night. It's one of those movies where you're on a date night, but man, we watched this movie and we're just weeping. I mean, it was just so powerful. The protagonist in the movie is a pastor by the name of Greg Laurie, who pastors in California. And here's what he said years ago about finish lines. He said, the objective in this Christian life is not just to start this race well, but to cross the finish line well. And that's every one of us. And I'm not here to teach about us passing away. That's not the talk of today. I'm just here to talk about getting to the end. Like in things in our life, getting and accomplishing and getting to the finish line and different things in our life. But so often we are tempted to quit. Sometimes we're tempted to quit because of the odds that we face and the adversity and difficulties. Sometimes in life we're tempted to quit because of actual relational enemies that have come to stop our success. I'm thinking of you. Just some of the things. This young lady right here, man, she just was blown up the photography world. I'm telling you right now. And some of the stuff that you've had to deal with, people coming up against your artistry. What in the world? But you didn't quit. You kept going. You kept producing. You kept creating amazing art. Isn't that cool? And so, but that, so often there's obstacles and things that people face that, that they'll stop moving toward, I hate to say the word success, but they'll stop moving toward the more that God has for them because of adversity. And we've allowed too many obstacles to keep it from us from the best that God has. And I believe in this room today, too many of us here this morning feel like quitting. You fill in the blank. I don't know what it might be, the thing that you know isn't finished yet, but you feel like just quitting. And I want to tell you this. Jesus said that he was tempted, or the scriptures say that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. I want to say it a different way, all right? I don't think it's stretching the truth too much. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without quitting. And aren't you thankful? He didn't quit. He lived out the full purpose and call that, that the Father had on his life. And if anyone had a reason to quit, it was Jesus when facing the reality of the death that he would take place experiencing on the cross. Crucifixion was a horrible, horrible death. And, and some people will look at Jesus and they're like, okay, well, he's Messiah, he's God, so he's not experiencing all the pain of this. No, no, he, he is. But sometimes people will look at things like this and they'll think, well, he's just, it's not, I can't relate to us completely. Yes, he can. In Philippians, it says that he divested himself of his royalty and he took upon himself humanity became like us now i don't know how much that means that he needed to rely on the spirit just like you do and i don't know how much that means exactly that that he and his foreknowledge could think of things because he is still god he didn't stop being god amen but in some way he limited himself scripture says 
So he experienced a lot of the things that we experience. And this idea of the cross, he would have been really, really understanding of it. Because it wasn't something that was uncommon to the Roman period. Romans used crucifixion to take care of bringing terror. Not just execution for penalty. Not just execution for a crime. No, no. It was a terrorist act by that government to strike fear in people. In 7 AD, the Spartacus revolt that took place in that region, literally the Appian Way, the road that led into Rome and out of Rome, 120 kilometers, they killed 6,000 people. 6,000. And on that 120 kilometer stretch, they had a person, all 6,000 of them down that road. That was 50 every kilometer. 50 people. Can you imagine that? And you think of a cross facing adversity. You think of a cross as something that's kind of high. It wasn't. That's just good for art. Okay? Crosses were just a little bit higher than you. Because they wanted people to look at the person and be tormented. They wanted them to see the pain in their eyes and be tormented. They wanted for people that ridiculed them to spit upon them. Now women, they would turn around. I don't know if you knew that. When they would hang a woman, they would turn around so she would face the cross. Because they felt it was too harsh to see the beauty of a woman there and all that kind of agony. So they would turn her around. And sometimes it would take a week, week and a half for a person to die on the cross of dehydration. And I mean, this was a horrible mechanism. And it was something that Jesus would have seen. There was 2,000 Jews in Jerusalem that were brutally crucified outside the city gates. Jesus would have understood the pain of the cross Roman, the Roman orator Cicero, he said that crucifixion was the cruelest and foulest of punishments. This is the adversity that Jesus faced. Josephus of Antiquities, the great historian, he said that it's the most wretched of death. That literally you would be beaten and scourged and then placed upon this cross with these spikes that would go in through the most sensitive neuro connections of your body. In the wrist and area, and then in the foot area, like, like, like this is how bad. And then you would hang there till you died. Now, in Jewish culture, in Judea, because Jews, it was uh, wrong for a body to be left overnight, the Jewish people would always ask for them to be killed before the evening was over. And so what they would do is they would break the legs of the person on the cross so they couldn't hold themselves up to breathe. And they would break the legs so they would have to slump on broken legs and die quickly so they could be put away that evening and not looked at. And especially this weekend that Jesus was being crucified because it was Passover weekend. There's throngs all through the city. We can't have this cursed man up on, the, up on this tree. We can't look at that. And so they would have him pulled down. That's the pain of the cross. And it was such a reality to Jesus. He knew what was coming, I believe, And in Matthew, we see where he goes into the garden of Gethsemane. My father, my God, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. If it's possible, let me not have to finish the work you have brought me to this earth to finish. Let this cup pass for me. But not as I will, as you will. He faces the pain. He faces it. And I just want to ask you, how do you manage to finish strong when you're facing adversity? How do you manage 
to finish when facing such pain. I, I believe we can look at what Jesus has modeled to us as an example of how we too can finish strong. You know, when London was being attacked by Germany, Winston Churchill, he said, give us the tools and we'll finish the job. I love that. Guess what? I'm going to give you the tools today so that you can get to the finish line. Amen? And I want you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 19. This week we're looking at 19, next week 20, and the following week 21. And so I want to get into 19. And I want to tell you a few things here. If you're going to finish strong when facing adversity, number one, you have got to find rest in the sovereignty of God. You've got to. You've got to realize that God is still in control even when everything looks out of control around you. <clears throat> and I, can I be honest with you? <clears throat> we come from a more of an Arminian background, um, like, like, like Arminius, which is a theologian who believed in the free will of God, that we have choice, all right? Not Arminian like women with mustaches, different. <laughs> I am going to hell for sure. Some have a Calvinistic background, like John Calvin, who believe in predestination. And, and can I just be honest with you, man? When I look at scripture, I just hold a lot of things in balance. I really do. I'm kind of a, 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 Calmin, Cal, Calmil, a Calminian. You know, I just, I, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I also believe he has us partner with him with free will. And so I think this is a beautiful example of that because even though we're going through adversity, we've got to make right decisions, but no matter what we're facing, God is still on the throne and is still going to get the glory. He's going to get us through. All right. And watch what it says in John 19, verse 10 through 11. Let's stand to our feet just to honor God's word. We're going to look to find rest in the sovereignty of God. So Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me. Do you not know what I have? That I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Father, in the name of Jesus, just bless the rest of our conversation today. Allow us to leave here in such a way that we can get to the finish line. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have your seats. And so he, Jesus is brought before the, the court of Pilate, and Pilate is having him on, 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 on um, um, this judgment, this, making this decision of what's going to happen to Jesus, and he's wanting Jesus to speak, and Jesus is being quiet, and he says, I, don't you know who I am? A paraphrase of this would be, you would not have any power over me at all had not God granted you that authority in the first place. That, that, that's how powerful the sovereignty of God is. And, and, I, and I don't understand. I'll be honest. I go through things at times, and I wonder, you know, you're, you're, you're believing God for a miracle. You're believing God for signs and for wonders. You're believing for a change, but you still see the trial. You still see the adversity. And at times you can think, God, are you still in control or not? And I want you to know he is. He is. And who he is isn't determined upon what I'm walking in right now. It's what I'm going to walk in. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. So here's what's neat about the sovereignty of God, finding rest in the sovereignty of God. I'm going to go through a handful of scriptures. <clears throat> John 19, 23 through 24. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, 
One part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. Now I want you to catch something. We'll keep hitting. It says, this was to fulfill the scripture. There it is. Resting in the sovereignty of God. This mockery that's taking place to the, to the king of kings, the lord of lords on the cross, and now they're casting lots for his clothes? Like this is some game? In this moment, it says, this was to fulfill scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22, verse 18. Centuries before this moment. Resting in the sovereignty of God. John 19, 36. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Psalm 34, verse 20. Jesus is there on the cross. And it's time for the evening to come. It's time to get these guys off the cross. We have dead people up on the cross. And they're not even dead yet. So go break their legs. And so the Roman soldiers come and they break the man to the right of Jesus' legs. And now he begins to gasp for air. They break the man to the left of Jesus. And now he begins to gasp for air. It wouldn't take long before he succumbs. They succumb. And now they come to Jesus. And Jesus had already given up his spirit. And his legs aren't broken. They take a spear. And they stab it into Jesus' side. And water and blood flow. He's a dead man. Water and blood don't flow like that from a dead person. The body doesn't pump blood like that. They say that most likely Jesus' organs, his heart, had been bursted. His his lungs, there was so much fluid and blood in his pericardial cavity that when he was pierced, the blood and water flowed. But his legs were never broken. Yeah, but his he got stabbed. Ross, you don't know the stuff I'm going through. I know, but you're going through it. I see this, but I see this too. I see the sovereignty of God in the midst of your stuff, in the midst of your adversity. But it's so easy to focus on the other part and not realize God's at work. For these things took place that the scripture might be filled. John 19, 37. And again, another scripture. Remember the sword? They will look on him whom they have pierced. Zechariah 12, verse 10. These are Old Testament prophecies. This one here about 400, 500 years before Jesus' death on the cross. But thing after thing is pointing to the idea that God is sovereign. God is in control. Even if there's this illusion that the enemy thinks he's winning, oh, he's not. John 19, 38, after these things, after the death of Jesus... Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might be taken away, take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. Verse 41 to 42, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb. So Joseph Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus to this new tomb in which no one had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. What's beautiful is in Isaiah 53, 9, that famous passage of scripture that deals with our suffering servant. That's the scripture that talks about he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement so that we might have peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed. Why is that so important? Because all of those things, that's the atonement. That's the covering that comes from the blood of Jesus. We receive all of those things because of this 
act that's taken place on the cross. And in Isaiah 53, 9, it lays, it speaks that he was laid in the tomb of a rich man. Another prophecy fulfilled. Why are all these prophecies fulfilled? Because we can rest in the sovereignty of God. Pastor, I'm going through a lot. I understand, but like Joseph, what the enemy meant for evil, God's going to turn for good. Like Paul said in Rome, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Don't be defeated twice. You go through a situation and you feel defeated. Then we turn our hearts away from God who is sovereign because we get bitter and we're beaten twice. We separate ourselves from his support and his strength. We separate ourselves from the love of a church family when we go through hardships. We get beat twice because of adversity. Does it make sense? No, no. Remind yourself, I can rest in the sovereignty of God. I don't understand this right now, but I can rest in that God is in control. Now, that doesn't mean, because we're free will people, that doesn't mean you don't get your ducks in a row. You know what I mean? You're going through things, and you're like, you know what? My marriage is rough. All right, I'm going to get some things worked on, you know? My health is rough. I'm going to work on some things, you know? My finances are rough. I'm going to stop spending so much money. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, you do your part. But on the other side, every one of you in this room, you've done your part, and things still haven't turned around quick. You've done your part, and things still put your head on a pillow at night, and you're just like, God, Why? Why am I facing this adversity? Why am I going through this? If you are God, why? He was God on that cross, and he went to the tomb. But it wasn't finished. Amen? We've got to learn to rest in the sovereignty of God. The second thing, if we're going to be able to be able to finish strong when facing adversity... We have to find restraint to not respond negatively in the face of adversity. Now, I'm not saying not to be angry, okay? And not to deal with emotions in a healthy way. Bible says be angry and sin not. When I'm mad at my house, Amy's like, what are you doing? I'm just being biblical. <laughs> just, just being, Jesus said be angry and sin not, you know? I'm just being biblical. Don't make me sin, woman. <laughs> a little bit more, girl. <laughs> no. <clears throat> So being angry, I'm not saying to push down your negative emotions and don't deal with them. What I'm saying is making a choice that you're going to respond to the adversity in a positive way. You're not going to respond negatively in the face of the adversity. Let's look at what Jesus did in John 19, 1 through 9. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on Jesus' head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They were mocking him. Eastern royalty at that time, they would deify. All the Eastern religions of that time would deify royalty. And they would have a diadem or a crown in their imagery that would show forth rays. You've seen the imagery. Going from the crown outwards as a deification of their, their king, queen, lord, etc. This was a bastardization of that as they took thorns and turned the spikes of the thorns inwards. Not a diadem that reached out, but a diadem that cut into his brow. They're mocking him, making a fool, trying to make a fool of him. This is the, this is the adversity Jesus is facing. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. 
Pilate said, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Pilate's very torn in this moment. You got to understand the political struggle that Pilate's in in this moment, trying to be true to Rome, but trying to not push away the masses of the region of Judea that he's governing. Okay, so he's 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 a freaking politician. That's what he is. Just like all politicians, you know how that goes. It's rough to be a politician. Bless their hearts. All right, the Jews answered, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus chose in that moment to not respond negatively. He gave him no answer. Uh, here's, here's something that's neat you got to think about with Pilate. He wants to know, where are you from? He wants to know, are you the son of God? Where are you from? The reason why is the pantheon of the Roman spiritual existence was replete with gods. He wanted to be sure that he wasn't killing Zeus' son come up from the ocean. Or from the mountain, I guess if Zeus would be the mountain, you know. So where are you from? Where are you from? He wanted to hear Jesus say, I am and to stake his claim on who he was. I have come from heaven. I have, because he was afraid. It says that he was afraid. He's torn in this moment. But there were so many reasons here that Jesus could have responded negatively. And here's what I love. Jesus gave him no answer. And so when we will go to find restraint to not respond negatively in the face of adversity, there's two things. One, take control of your tongue. Jesus held his tongue. He knew the power of God was going to do the talking for him. Amen? He knew that. And when it comes in your life to strain relationships, sometimes you have to learn to hold your tongue instead of holding a grudge. And this is kind of a weird place to put this part in the sermon. I was like, Lord, why are you having me? This seems so different than what we're talking about. But some of the deepest adversity we face is relational adversity. And I just want to speak to you a little bit. What you need to know is that grudges are destructive and they will always keep you from finishing strong and seeing healing come to your relationships. Grudges, they destroy marriages. Grudges, they break up families. They ruin friendships. They split churches. I'm certain that there are people here this morning that at times have had grudges, and we need to give up our grudges, and we need to forgive our grievances that we have against other people. We do. We need to control our tongue, hold our tongue, and not our grudge. Amen? Some of you need to forgive your parents. Maybe not for what they did, but maybe for what they didn't do. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to forgive your kids for the same reason. How many have adult children? New level, new devil, baby. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Yeah, you need to forgive your adult children. Some of you need to forgive your spouse. I mean, for years, they've always been this way, and you hold it over them. And man, some of us just need to learn to respond in a way that we hold our tongue and respond in a way that's not negative. I'm not saying don't get help. I'm not saying don't get counseling. I'm just saying guard your heart against grudges and grievances, Maybe somebody at work that just always does you wrong and you just hold a grudge. Maybe it's somebody that, that, that you've had an argument with recently in your neighborhood. 
It's easy to hold a grudge. So today, if you know that you're holding a grudge against someone, I want to tell you, like I said, hold your tongue because God has something to say to you, all right? He has this to say, it is finished. Amen? It is finished. Well, yeah, but they're still being, I, I, get, I get that. That's on them. But for you, like Jesus said, it is finished. For you, you can come to a place where you can rest in the sovereignty of God and you can choose to respond in a way that negativity is not pulling me into it. I see it as finished. What I'm doing between me and the Lord, I'm strong. And you know what? That's between you and God. But between us, it's finished. I'm not saying the relationship's over. I'm saying the tension that's coming, the grudge, it is finished. Amen? And so find restraint to not respond negatively in the face of adversity. And that first thing I said is take control of your tongue. The second thing is take control of what you can take control of. So when you're trying to respond not negatively in the face of adversity, there are things you can take control of. Now, some things will be out of your control. That's all right. But the things you can control, get a hold of them. It is important to note that Jesus did not die as a victim of his oppressors. He was not a victim. He was in control the whole time, even though it didn't look it. He remained in charge of his life until the very end. John records his death with active verbs. John said this, he received, he spoke, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Those are active verbs that Jesus chose. Jesus, in that moment, it looked like the Roman oppressors had all the control. No, 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 no. He received, he bowed. He gave up. He laid his head. Jesus took control of what he could take control in that moment. And he could take control of everything. But again, he's modeling to us how we can live. He remained in charge of his life clear to the very end. Now, some theologians, I love this, they've called attention to the fact that the phrase that Jesus used when it says that he bowed his head that that phrase is the same phrase that was used when in Scripture it said, foxes have no holes and the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That Greek phrase, teen kaphelin, kleni, that same Greek phrase, to lay his head, is the same phrase used, he bowed his head. I love that. I love that. The resting place for Jesus' head that he lacked on earth, he found on a Roman cross. You think it looked like defeat? Like he wasn't in control? Like all the adversity he was facing was overwhelming? No, no, no. In the midst, he took control of what he could, and he found his place to rest his head. In his life, he had no place to lay his head. Now he lays his head upon the face of a cruel cross. It's as if he knew I know where this is headed. I know what the price, it's worth everything I'm facing, the adversity, because I can see the end in sight. I know it's you he's looking at. I know what this is going to mean for my people. And he took that time. Didn't call the angels to come and rescue him from the cross. But died that cruel, cruel death on the cross for us. I want to get into this last point. But before I do, uh, I'll just tell you the point, and then I'll, I'll backtrack on the story. The third thing is this. We need to find relief in knowing we are finished before we even began. I love that. We're finished before we even 
began. John 19, 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He knew in the garden what was coming. He asked God, if he can pass, let it pass. But he received the will of the Father. You do what you have to do. I'm on board, God. I'll face this adversity. Why? Because he had an end of the, uh, a picture of the end before the beginning. He knew what was happening. He knew it would be finished. He knew what it would mean. And sometimes it's important for us to do the same thing. I went backpacking last week. That's why I wasn't here. And so backpacking, we leave the truck on Wednesday night, about 10 o'clock at night. We were going to camp at the truck head or at the trailhead, but we decided, ah, we'll hike in a half a mile or so and set up camp. So we get into camp, we set up. Um, the next day we're hiking and it is a tough, tough hike. How many's ever been to the Linville Gorge? Anybody? You've got to go. It's in North Carolina, Linville Gorge, beautiful place. And so as we're hiking, it's tough hiking. About twice the amount of distance on the AT you'll get for the amount of time it takes on the Linville Gorge. I know, I've done both those things. And, and man, it just was slowing down and, and beating your ankles up. It was a tough hike. And on Thursday, we're realizing, man, are we going to be able to get back on Sunday to our truck? And so the conversation kind of went, well, what if we just go so far Thursday, try to go so far Friday, m figure it out, and maybe on Friday, if we have to, we will turn around and just go back the way we came and not truly finish our hike. But all we could think was, no, we're getting that stupid truck. I kept the end in mind. I'm getting to my truck. All I could think of was get to the truck or the parking lot, get to the truck, drive to Roadhouse, get my ribeye. Literally, that, like, so Thursday is tough. Friday's even harder. It's raining all day. Friday, raining the whole time. But man, I'm hiking. Get to the parking lot, get to the truck, drive to Roadhouse, get a ribeye. This is my mantra. I'm keeping the end in sight. I know the end from the beginning. I know I'm, I'm, that's where I'm headed, right? And then on Saturday night, we go to get water down this goat path. And it had been raining, and so it was wet and muddy and leaves. And there's this about four-foot little face that you had to lower yourself down on a, from a tree to get down to the spring. So we took a lot of bags with us because we wanted to bring as much water back as we could. We're not going to do this stupid trip one more time. So tomorrow morning, we'd have water. And um, we get down there. We get our water. And um, Jason climbs up the thing pretty quick because he is, he is nimble less nimble. <laughs> okay. So I, I handed my water up. I had like four liters of water. I handed my water up and then I grabbed the tree and I get myself up that face. And now I'm up there and I'm like, oh, I got to get Mitch's water. Mitch is our saxophone player. I got to get Mitch's water. So I turn around, I get Mitch's stuff. And then I turn around, I go a couple steps up the hill again. It's real steep. And I thought, oh, I better check to see if Mitch needs a hand where that tree is just like a, a little pull up. And so I turn around and when I did, both of my feet flew out from under me, and I showed Mitch the bottom of my shoes. It was just, I mean, I, I, mean, I could not react. And had the ground just been the ground, I would have knocked the air out of my lungs and been fine. But there was a root about four inches off of the ground. Thank God it wasn't a stone or a pokey root. It was rounded, but it hit me in the back rib and broke my rib. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, you're just being dramatic. No, I'm not. It's broken. It is. It's bad. It's been bad all week. And so the next morning, we got to hike out of there. 
But you know what? It's all right. I got my backpack on, and we get hiking. It's hard to breathe. Every breath spikes. I feel the pokiness. But all I kept reminding myself was get to the parking lot, get to the truck, drive to Roadhouse, ribeye. Rib <laughs> I'm telling you, ribeye, the healing power of ribeye steak. <laughs> the lady wondered when she brought it to me, and I took that first bite and started speaking in tongues. She's like, what? what? Like, Let me give you an interpretation. It's good. But it just, I, I don't know, it might be a silly illustration, but it's just so true. Like, like it made it to where I can get past this last day of hiking, and even though I'm struggling breathing, even though I'm having all these problems, I can get there because I got something in my mind, all right? And so third thing, like I said, find relief in knowing you were finished before you began. That word that is finished in the Greek is tetelestai. Everybody say tetelestai. And it's a verb, and it means to bring to an end. And it kind of means two things. It means to bring to an end, either in the sense of completion or accomplishment. Okay, completion or accomplishment. So in the first case, it implies that Jesus' earthly life and mission is now over. Yes, he's at the end of his earthly mission. It's over. It's completed. But in the second, probably more powerful and I think more poignant, it means that he had accomplished the work he came to do. It is finished. The work is done. Through Jesus' voluntary death on the cross, he had accomplished the redeeming purpose of why he came in the first place. What do you mean by redeeming purpose? Redemption is means to be bought with a price. That shed blood on Calvary's hill purchased you from sin, death, hell, hell on the grave. Purchased you and literally brought you into a relationship with, with God Almighty. And so scripture tells us in Ephesians 1, 7, Jesus is so rich in his kindness and grace that he purchased us with his blood and forgave us our sins. When Christ cried out, Telestai, it is finished. It wasn't a cry of despair. It was a cry of victory. Now, the world will never understand how a Messiah whose earthly destiny was a cross could ever turn out to be the sovereign of the universe. The world struggles with that. Well, if he's sovereign, why? You, well, if you are a believer, why are you going through all this stuff? If God loves you, why are you facing all this stuff? If you were living better, you wouldn't be dealing with all this stuff. And you know, and some of that stuff, I get it. I get it. You know, I want to live right. But there's times you've lived right. You've tithed. You've served. You've gone to small group. You've got lathered up with oil for prayer up here like a greased country pig. You've, <laughs> you've done it all. And you're still facing things. You're still going through it. Can I just tell you, you're not at the end yet. Keep the end in mind. You're going through the adversity, but you're not at the end yet. And the thing is, God is still sovereign, just like Jesus was sovereign and was going through all this stuff. Sometimes in God's plan, the road to glory passes through the valley of humiliation. It passed through the valley of pain, the valley of struggle. And Jesus knew what his purpose was, and he could face the pain of the cross. The Bible says, for the joy that was before him. Even Jesus kept it before, kept the joy that was before him before him. That's how he endured the cross, is what the scripture says. Do y'all know who the joy that is before Jesus is? It's you. It's the church. It's those that he shed his blood for. It's those he went through the adversity for. It's those that he went through what looked like impending defeat for. 
Hebrews 12, I don't want you to think I'm lying to you. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Watch. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Man, there is something about keeping the finish line in mind from the beginning of the journey that helps you stay on the course when the journey gets difficult. Even Jesus, he had the finish line in mind, the joy that is set before him. Your atonement, your life change, your salvation, your healing, your deliverance, your someday surrounded by a company of witnesses in the great, great, great heaven with God. Man, marriage, supper of the Lamb, experiencing all that God has. That, oh, that's the end. That's, that's where we're headed. And Jesus had all that in mind for you and allowed him to endure what he was going through. It is finished was not a submissive cry. It was a shout of victory. And here's what's beautiful about tetelestai. That word is written in the Greek. It is a Greek perfect tense word. It doesn't just mean it is finished. It's Greek perfect tense. It means it is finished and always will be finished. Is that good? Ha. Huh. It's like it's got life to it. It's not just that it's finished. It's finished and it's finishing. It's finished and it's always going to be finished. It's going to keep finishing things in your life too. What he did on the cross. Colossians tells us that the cross of Christ, on the cross, he spoiled or literally deprived of power, principalities, and powers, might, and dominion. He made an open mockery, a show of them, triumphing over them in it. Why? Because it was finished. And on the cross, he proved every devil in hell. It is finished for you as well. Now, did Christ finish his work for us? Let me ask you that. Did he finish his work for us? Yeah, I mean, he said it, it's finished. Can I tell you this? If he finished his work for us, he will finish his work in us. Just no doubt. As long as we don't get beat twice. As long as we don't get defeated twice. As long as we keep on. I'm broken and busted and disgusted, but I'm going to keep on. I'm getting to that truck. I'm getting to that restaurant. I'm getting my ribeye. Rib- I'm keeping on. End in mind. I'm keeping on with my, my tongue in control. I'm keeping on taking control of what I can control. Amen. I'm keeping on reminding myself that God is sovereign, that God has a plan, even though things are squirrely right now. God is going to finish the work in us. He's going to finish the work of healing in you. He's going to finish the work of relational healing between you and others. He is going to finish the work of the victory that you need regarding the things that bind you. He is going to finish the work that you need in the area of increase. But pastor, I'm going through so much. I get it. But pastor, believers still die. People who have prayed the prayer of faith and believe, and I get it. And guys, you know what? I would rather speak the word of faith than the word of doubt. Amen? But sometimes when it comes to the word of faith movement, it's like, you know what? I'm going to pray and believe and God's going to heal. Guess what? I've had some dear, dear, lovely people in my life who have died and went on to heaven way before their time. And we all prayed, we all fasted. And they quoted the word and spoke the word. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we don't still do that. Because that aligns our heart to God and keeps our heart and mind right. But if God's sovereignty ends with my blood stopping to pump in my body, then God isn't that sovereign. 
And that's deeper than you own that. If that's where God's sovereignty is, no, no, no. This is just a wisp. What we experience in this earth is a vapor. And so I think sometimes when it comes to the word of faith, yes, believe, stand strong, pray at the altars, and we're going to keep doing that, amen? Because you see more miracles when you pray than when you don't. But then I'm going to just lean back and rest in the sovereignty of God when I don't understand, God, what's going on. Because guess what I do know? That in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, a trump will blast and the dead in Christ will rise first and will all be caught up in the air and the old body that's corruptible will put upon itself incorruption and mortality, that's the physical part of you that can get sick and die, it'll put upon itself immortality. I'm gonna keep the end in mind from the beginning. Amen? And that's going to make me a better Pentecostal, not a worse Pentecostal. Hmm. So I don't care what you're facing. Find relief in knowing it is finished before it even began. Get this awareness in you that was in Christ. You can see he had that awareness. But you know who else had that awareness? Paul. Last scripture and we're done. Paul had that awareness. Listen, here's what Paul said. It's not on the screen. I added stuff. Is that okay? I added a lot today before, after I made my slides. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. He says, for I, this is Paul, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I mean, like he, like I'm at the end here of my life. This is the end. Everything I've had, I feel poured out as an offering. In other words, as a gift to God, I've poured it all out. And I'm at the end. But then he says, but I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now watch as he looks to the end in sight. Watch this. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, all of us in this room who go through things, but we look way down at the appearance of Christ someday, when he returns, amen? And we say, Lord, I know I'm going through stuff now, but what you said it was finished on the cross, you're still finishing. And I can look to you, the author and finisher of my faith, way down into the, 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 the decades ahead and know without a doubt, no matter what I'm going through, you're still sovereign, you're still king, you still rule, you still lead and live in such a way that someday I'll walk into my reward with you. But we're such immediate people. We want finishing things now. I want it now. But you know what? Man, the best that we're going to experience someday is heaven. <laughs> we don't preach about heaven a lot. I didn't talk, say this in the first service, but we don't preach about heaven a lot. I mean, literally, guys. And, and I don't do a lot of end-time teaching around here, like eschatology. I, I need to do a series on it, you know? Do you, you guys realize there's a thousand-year millennial reign? Like, like all the places in the world that I want to hike and go see the glorious creation of God, I'm going to get to go to. With a lion as a pet walking beside me. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm hiking with my lion. Hey, ooh, that's fun. Jesus comes back first, though. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no millennium. So he comes back first. So we look forward to the appearance of Christ. But you know what? He comes back through his spirit now. 
So no matter what you're going through, look, look ahead. Get the end in sight. Get the, get, it's already finished. God's already done the work. Just hold on. Amen? Bow your heads for a moment. If, if you're here this morning and you're going through an adversity, you're going through something where, man, it's hard to look ahead. I want you to hold up your hand just for a second, and you can put it down. Let me just see hands. I see hands. I see hands. Amen, amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see my friends with their hands raised. God, I ask that you would remind them today that you are sovereign. Remind them today that there's things they can take control of. Allow them to do that. And allow them to get the end in sight. It's already finished. You've already won the war. You've already accomplished what you desire. Let them lean into you, their sovereign God, as you walk them into your best for them, I pray, Jesus. Maybe when somebody's here this morning or watching online and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you're hearing this today, and man, the work he did on the cross, you're realizing that's for you. It's for you, and you want to receive the work that he did for you. You want to walk in all that he has for you. If that's you and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, raise your hand in this room. Anybody? Amen. If you're online and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, just comment online. And we're going to send you, get us your information. We're going to send you seven days with Jesus. It's your first seven days. It's a book I wrote just to help you in your first seven days following Jesus. To show you what that life and relationship is like. So, Father, right now, as we leave this place, thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for what you teach us in your scriptures, through modeling, through how you responded to adversity. We ask that we would just be those that would live the way you have taught us to live, that you might receive glory and honor. In Jesus' name, everybody give God a big praise. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.